From the in-town Jewish Academy in Atlanta, Georgia, I am Rabbi Ari Solish, and this is Knowledge on the Deeper Side. In this podcast, we discuss the most inspiring and stimulating Jewish ideas, ideas that challenge the way you think and feel. To sponsor a class or episode, please visit intownjewishacademy.org slash sponsor. And now, on to the episode. Progress. All right, ladies and gentlemen, welcome to Daily Power Parsha. Today is Thursday, July 14, 2022. Today's reading is reading number five of the Torah portion of Balak. To recap, Balak was the king of Moab. He was afraid of the Jewish people, even though he had nothing to be afraid of. So he hires Balaam, the evil prophet, for hire, to curse, to try at least, to curse the Jewish people. And as we'll see today, his attempts will not work. We saw that yesterday also. His first attempt to curse the people, he asked for an altar to be built and for sacrifice to be brought. And then he went off in solitude, quiet solitude, to try to channel God's, uh, you know, God's energy or whatever it was. And God put words into his mouth that he had to share, which were words of blessings, words of uh, complimentary words about the Jewish people. They're so strong. They're so mighty. They come from incredible roots. The patriarchs, the matriarchs, um, they're, they, they, they're confident enough to be different and to be a little radical, etc. Like, amazing. I would love to be one of them if only they, if only my lot was with them. And the king says to him at the end of yesterday's reading, are you kidding me? I, I hired you to curse them. You blessed them. And the prophet says, Balaam says, Listen, I already told you from the beginning, I can only say what God has allowed me to say. This takes us to reading number five. Let's jump right in. What is going on over there? It's weird. Okay, let's jump right in to our reading. Balak, reading five, Numbers chapter 23, verse 13. Balak the king said to him, said to Balaam the prophet, Come with me to another place from where you will see them. Meaning, come to, an, to a different overlook. These were the mountains overlooking the encampment of the Jewish people. Come to another place from where you will see them. However, you will see only a part of them, not all of them, and curse them for me from there. What We, we saw this yesterday also. There's something about not looking at the entire nation, but only looking at a small segment of the people that that would somehow be more conducive to this uh, to this cursing. Anyway, so he says, let's go to a different place. In Hebrew, there is a there's a phrase mishaneh makom mishaneh mazal. When you change places, your mazal, your fortune, can change as well. So it's like some sometimes a way to kickstart a shift in life is to physically move locations. And so it seems like Balak intuited this idea and he says all right let's let's move somewhere else maybe we're gonna have different luck so he took him to the field of the lookouts to the peak of the mountain sounds like a great like a beautiful place right field of the lookouts i mean, i i just picture like uh, a mountaintop or like yeah like a mountaintop and then you know where you can pull off where you can like the car you pull off the windy road to a little lookout area, or maybe lookout mountain, Chattanooga, whatever, just picture all these things. So he takes him to this mountain peak, 
the lookout. And he built seven altars. Once again, he built the altars and offered up a bull and a ram on each altar. And Balaam said to Balak, the prophet said to the king, stand here next to your burnt offering and I will be chanced on here. Before, last time he said, perhaps God will chance upon me. Here he's a little bit more confident. God will appear to me. Very next verse, 16. Indeed, this is what happened. The Lord chanced upon Balaam and placed something into his mouth. He said, return to Balak and so shall you speak. This is going to be message number two. One was yesterday, this is two. But I, I just want to clarify this. The Lord chanced upon Balaam. We had that yesterday, Vayikar, chanced. The chance is that God doesn't really want to have this conversation. He doesn't really want this meeting. It's kind of like, all right, I guess we'll meet. Or we met each other in the hallway. Okay, I guess we're going to have a conversation. That's kind of the way the energy, uh, the energy of, this, uh, of this meeting, of this encounter. The sages, and I'm just going to jump in on a quick insight here. The sages contrast this Hebrew word, Vayikar, chanced, God chanced upon Balaam, with Vayikra. If you add an Aleph at the end of that first Hebrew word, Vayikar, you put an Aleph at the end, it's Vayikra, which is Vayikra Hashem would mean Hashem called. Now Hashem did not call Balaam, but that word Vayikra, called, is used in relationship, in relation to Moses. God called. In fact, the book of Leviticus opens up Vayikra El Moshe. God called to Moses. Vayikra, calling, is a sign of endearment. Chancing upon is a sign of haphazardness, of lack of connection, of lack of desire, of lack of, really, lack of an intimate relationship. So God's, God reserves his Vayikra with the Aleph for Moses. Vayikar is with, uh, is with Balaam. What a difference a letter can make. What a difference a letter can make. All right, so when he came to him, so God says, go back to Balak, and this is what you're going to say, dot, dot, dot. So when he came to him, when he came back to the king, he was standing next to his burnt offering, and the Moabite dignitaries were with him. And Balak said to him, what did the Lord speak? Tell me, what did God say? He took up his parable, he was about to wax poetic, and he said, arise, Balak. And here, listen closely to me, son of Tzipar. His, his, he was Balak, the son of Tzipar. So he says, arise and hear, listen closely to me, son of Tzipar. God, listen to this, and here's the message. Verse 19, God is not a man that he should lie. The implication, by the way, is that people lie. God is not a man. God is not a human who lies. Nor is he a mortal that he should relent. People change their mind. God does not change his mind. Would he say and not do? Speak and not fulfill? These are rhetorical questions. And the answer is no. He wouldn't say something and not finish. He wouldn't speak something and not, and not fulfill. He would not promise and not deliver on the promise. He wouldn't lie. He wouldn't relent. None of this would happen with God. We'll look at Rashi. The quick implication is God promised to be connected with the Jewish people. You think he's going to change? God promised to be with the people. Hi, Ray. 
Good to see you. Is, is he really going to relent? Is he not going to follow through on the promise? Of course not. Ba- uh, Balaam the prophet continues to say to the king who hired him, I have received an instruction to bless. And he has blessed. And I cannot retract it. There's nothing I can do to curse the people. It ain't going to happen. He does not look at evil in Jacob. And he has seen no perversity in Israel. You know, when, when you're in love with someone, you don't see any flaws, no flaws. God loves Jacob. God loves Israel. That means the Jewish people. He does not see the evil. He doesn't see the perversity. The Lord is God is with him. And he has, he, the Jewish people, right? Israel has the king's friendship. It's big. God has brought them out of Egypt with the strength of his loftiness. For there is no divination in Jacob and no soothsaying in Israel, which means that the Jewish people are not connected with omens and signs and dark forces and the occult and soothsaying and divination. The Jewish people are not connected with any other layers. They have a a friendship. They have a connection straight to the top, straight with God. In time, it will be said to Jacob and Israel, what has God wrought? We'll look at Rashi on that. Behold, a people, the Jewish people are a people that rises like a lioness. See, Malbim probably should not be in the translation. Anyway, and raises, someone's footnote there, and raises itself, the Jewish people raise itself like a lion. It does not lie down until it eats its prey. Ooh, don't mess with them. And drinks the blood of the slain. Wow. Let's just quickly, we're going to go into Rashi and go a little bit deeper as well. But let's quickly recap uh, what Balaam says in the second message. He's channeling message number two. What's the message? Number one, God doesn't change his mind. God doesn't lie. The people are blessed. They're not going to become cursed. It's not going to happen. God blesses the Jewish people. He's not changing his mind. Whatever you want, no matter how much you want that to be the case, it's not going to happen. In fact, God loves the Jewish people so much, he doesn't even see the evil or the perversity. He doesn't even see it. Again, it's like when you're in love, uh, when you're in like a state of like very, very um, intense love, there's no flaw. you don't see any flaws. God took them out of Egypt. There's no divination, which again, I'm understanding this to mean that Jews don't connect on other levels, but straight with the source. They're powerful. They rise like a lioness, raised like a lion. They don't lie down until they eat their prey and drink the blood of the slain. They're, 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 they're not only connected with God, but they also have a strength. That was the end of message number two. Balak said to Balaam, you shall neither curse them, nor shall you bless them. What are you doing? Stop talking. <laughs> don't curse them. Don't bless them. Balaam answered and said to Balak, Have I not spoken to you, saying, Everything the Lord speaks, that I shall do? What do you mean? I told you from the beginning. I was very transparent. Whatever God says, that's what I'm going to do. You're blaming me. You're getting upset at me. Oh, don't curse them. Don't bless them. You, you wanted this. I already told you. Whatever God says, I'll say. All right. So that's the, that's the ark. 
That's the narrative arc of message number two. Let's look at Rashi. Let's look at Rashi. Okay, it was a quick, it's a quick read inside. Of course, it's laden. It's heavily um, saturated with meaning. Um, I love Rashi. Curse them for me. This term is in the imperative. Curse them for me with an exclamation mark. Right? It's not just curse them for me. It's curse them for me. You Like, you must. Um, uh, he took him to the field of the lookouts. There was a high spot from where a lookout stands on guard. Ah, an actual lookout. This is a person who is a lookout, a lookout um, in case an army approaches the city. So he took him up to, I guess, the guard tower or the lookout tower, um, peak of the mountain. Balaam was not as great a diviner as Balak. Ooh, look at that. Look at that. Plot twist. Balaam, the evil prophet, was not as great a diviner as Balak. In other words, Balak, the king, actually had powers as well. Maybe not to curse, but he was a diviner. He could kind of uh, intuit things. Balak foresaw, the king foresaw, that a breach was destined to break into Israel from there. Ooh. He, he saw, he felt that something bad would happen to the Jewish people there. What happened? And indeed, Moses died there. They were standing on the mountain that Moses died. That's crazy. Harnavo, that's wild. This mountain, this lookout mountain, is the one that eventually Moses would pass away on. Wow. He thought that the curse could take effect from uh, upon, the, uh, upon them there. And he thought, this is the breach that I see. So he kind of felt that this was a negative negative energy mountain for the Jewish people. So he thought, boom, let's do the cursing from there. Well, that didn't work out. Even though that was a, you know, a nefariously good idea, didn't work out for him as we saw today, as we're seeing today. Um, I will be chanced on here by the Holy One This is in the passive form. I will be chanced on, not God will chance upon me, but I will be chanced upon. The Lord placed something to his mouth. What is meant by this placing? What would scripture have lacked if it simply said, return to Balak and so you shall speak? What does it mean that he placed something into his mouth? However, when Balaam heard that he was not permitted to curse, he said, why should I return to Balak to upset him? Ooh, Balaam had the idea, you know what? I'm just going to quit. Let me just walk away from this whole situation. In other words, if I can't curse... And it's going to end up blessings. He wanted to tap out at this point. Right? Why should I go back to Balak to upset him? So the Holy One, blessed be he, put a bridle and a bit into his mouth, so to speak. Not literally a bridle and a bit. Because you probably can't speak if you have a bridle and a bit in your mouth. As a man goads his beast with a bit to lead it wherever he wants. God said to him, you shall return to Balak against your will. So this answers a question that you might have had that I might have had, that we all might have had when reading the narrative. If Balaam senses at some point that he's not going to be able to curse the Jewish people, why doesn't he just stop? Why doesn't he just tell the king, I tried. I tried once. It's not going to work. I'm out. Or when God tells him, you know, I want you to tell this to Balak, why couldn't, uh, why didn't he just say, okay, not going to happen. Not doing it, not gonna, not gonna curse, not gonna bless, and just head down the mountain, you know, in a in a lonely, um, uh, you know, on, on a 
I guess a different donkey, depending on the narrative, whatever. Why does he just head down the mountain and call it a day? And the answer is, that's what the Torah is telling us. As Rashi says, that's exactly the intention of the Torah to emphasize that the Lord chanced upon Balaam and placed something into his mouth. That extra phrase, he placed something into his mouth, means that God forced him to tell this to Balak. How? I don't know how. I wasn't there, but somehow God forced him. Like a man goads his beast with a bit to lead it wherever he wants. That's kind of what's going on here. God forced. God forced this um, this scenario. Give me a second. Two, three, four. Huh. Stop sharing for a second. Oh, here we go. All right, we got Mark. We got Mark joining. Hey, Mark. Hi. Hey, sorry about last night. I was not able to get you in. My mouse wasn't working. Just the whole my technology wasn't working correctly. I figured. I figured it was a technical difficulty. Yeah, it was. A, it was a technical difficulty. But I almost had one again. Now I just couldn't figure out where you were in this thing. Anyway, but we got you in. That's the good news. Mark, you're in. Um, so Balak. It, sorry, Balaam is basically forced by God to actually um, say these words. And these words, of course, are words of blessing. The Moabite dignitaries were with him when he got back to the king. Above it says all the Moabite dignitaries. Here it says only the Moabite dignitaries. Um, however, Rashi says, since they saw that there was no hope, in other words, that it looked like there's not going to be any cursing happening today, some of them left and only some of them remained. So there were people who saw the handwriting on the wall. It's like, this guy's is not going to work. This guy's going to come back with blessings. We're out. We're going to lunch. Um, what did the Lord speak? This is an expression denoting derision, as if to say, you are not your own master. It's like, oh, what did God tell you this time? Uh, clearly, you're not good enough to, like, you know, to spout your own curses. Uh, what did God tell you? All right. So even the king, even Balak, was a little bit, um, at this point, suspicious that things were just absolutely heading in a negative direction. So he took up his parable and said, Arise, Balak. Since he saw that he was mocking him, he intended to taunt him. In other words, you know, Balak uh, fired some shots by saying, What did the Lord speak? <laughs> what did God tell you this time? So if, if he's starting the, uh, the, the mockery, so then he mocked him back. And he said, get up, stand up, stand on your feet. You have no right to sit, for I have been sent to you as an emissary of the omnipresent. Yeah, what did God tell me? God spoke to me, not you. You stand up when I repeat God's words. He called him son of Tzipar, which, uh, all right, there's a grammatical rash here, but that is certainly um, a phrase uh, that, that is a, a demeaning phrase, um, you know, some, a phrase of, of, of insult. Call him like son of Tzipar. God is not a man that he should lie, Rashi. He has already promised them to bring them to and give them possession of the land of the seven nations. God already promised. There's a covenant. God struck a covenant with Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, all three of them, about the children and about their children in the land of Israel. It's so you and you expect to kill them in the desert? Like what's what's your expectation? That I should curse them and then you're going to kill them in the desert before they enter the land. Bro, it's already promised. God doesn't lie. Would he say this is a form of a question, Rashi? 
and the Targum renders it, who would later relent, they reconsider and change the mind. That's what humans do, but not God. I have received instruction to bless. You ask me, what did God speak? My answer is, yeah, what did God tell you? I'll tell you what God told me. I received from him instruction to bless them. It's what I got. It's what I've been doing. I've been getting God's instruction to bless. And he has blessed and I cannot retract it. He has blessed them and I will not retract his blessing. In the English, in the translations, I cannot, Rashi, I will not. Both are true, by the way. I mean, he can't, so even if he wants to. So he will not. But will not is also like, at this point now, there's, I'm sure you can tell, there's some tension at this point between the king and the prophet. Look, there's a lot riding on the line. There's a lot of honor. There's a lot of money. There's a lot of hope and dread and fear and all that stuff. A lot of emotion riding on these curses. And as it starts, you know, heading totally out of control for Balak, He's getting upset, and Balaam's getting upset that he's getting upset, and everything, this relationship is souring pretty quickly. Um, I've received uh, the blessing, he has blessed. Um, okay, that's a gr- grammatical rasha, we're going to skip that. He does not look at evil in Jacob. According to the tar- Targum Unculus, it means, I have looked, and there are no idol worshippers in Jacob. Oh, okay. <laughs> So according to another interpretation, Balaam is saying, I've looked, but I've checked them out. I've vetted the people. No one's worshiping idols. Another interpretation, its literal meaning can be expounded beautifully. The Holy One, blessed be he, does not look at evil in Jacob. When they transgress his word, he does not deal punctiliously with them to scrutinize their wicked deeds and their iniquity in violation of his law. God does not hold us up to a microscope. I'm holding, this is a magnifying glass. I don't know if you can tell. This fist is like me holding a magnifying glass. That's why I'm holding it here. So imagine magnifying. God does not do that to Jacob, to Israel, to the Jewish people. God does not do that to us. Why? Because he doesn't look at evil. What it means at evil means he doesn't look for evil in Jacob. Nor does he see perversity. Rashi. Uh, Transgression, mischief. Okay, let's skip that. Again, it's more uh, about grammar and translation. The Lord his God is with him, even if they anger him and rebel against him, he does not move from their midst. He's with them. Now he's upset. Right? It's like, I can't believe you did it. One, one thing to emphasize is that the consequences are actually a sign of a relationship as opposed to lack of relationship. And that's a, that's the, I know that's an obvious thing. When you're not in a relationship with someone, so then if they do whatever they do, that's not your business. There's no consequence. Or if you don't care about someone and they do something, it's like, I don't care. It's when you care about someone and they do something hurtful, that's when it hurts. Are you with me on that? In other words, the show me how much it hurts and I'll show you how much you care. Correct. So the fact that God gets sometimes, you know, upset means that God is invested in the relationship. If God was not invested in the relationship, God wouldn't care. It's like imagine if a spouse does something hurtful to the other spouse, right? Something like really hurtful. Um, 
really uh, like in, you know infidelity, like the like, you know cheating, etc. And the spouse says, "I don't care." I mean, I think that would be a sign of, well, hold on, why don't you care? Wait a second, hold on, I think you should care. Why don't you care? I don't care because, like, it, it, that would be a sign of lack of connection. Yeah, I don't care. Do whatever you want. That do whatever you want means I don't care. And that means the relationship is not as strong as it could be. If it hurts, it means because I care. The point here is God loves, Paul is saying God loves the Jewish people. He's in a relationship with the Jewish people. Therefore, what they, so, but, so two things. Number one, he's not looking with a fine-tooth comb. He's not, um, do you look with a fine-tooth comb? I don't know. I don't know if that's how you look. Whatever. He's not looking with under a magnifying glass, under a microscope. Number two, that's number one. I think it's number one. Maybe it's number two already. Whatever. The second point is that when he does get upset, okay, it's a sign of, a sign of connection, not a sign of abandonment. If there was real abandonment, then do whatever you want. The fact that God is upset means that God is still here. God didn't check out. If God checked out, we're done. I'm not upset anymore. We're finished. But I'm not, I'm not checking out. I'm still here. And so therefore, if it bugs me, because I'm still here, I'm still invested. And that's that seem to me, that's what Rashi is saying, right? Even if they anger him and rebel against him, he does not move from their midst. What does that mean? Does not move from their midst. He says, "I'm not checking out. I'm not. I'm not like leaving. I'm not checking out. If God did leave, then God wouldn't be upset. So it's almost like maybe I'm going a little bit further than what Rashi is directly saying, but I think this is the energy of what he's saying. Even if they anger him, he's not going anywhere, and that's why he's angry, so to speak. And if God really gets angry, but the point is that there's a real relationship, and he has the king's friendship. Let's talk about positive things. Friendship." Uh, an expression denoting love and friendship. Let's continue. God has brought them out of Egypt with the strength of his loftiness. You said, yes. Can I ask you something? Absolutely. This is intriguing where it says the friendship of the, friendship of the king is in him, which is what it says in the Torah. Mm-hmm. But it says, the, it says friendship is usruah. That's true from the uh, from the chauffeur. That's what it says. Uh, uh, it says true uh, can also mean the blast of a trumpet or chauffeur. Um, and I guess to go one step further, isn't true the chauffeur blast with the three whales? Duh, duh, duh. Is that true? True is the nine short ones. Duh, 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 like the oh. short ones, yeah. Okay. okay. There's an attorney in town who has billboards. And I don't know the name of the attorney, but I know the number. It's 1-404-222-2222. Fantastic number. So my kids, we first saw it go up, we were on P- driving on Piedmont Road, and we saw it around old time, before the high holidays. So we developed a way to remember uh, the phone number. It's one four oh four. <laughs> it's like the chauffeur blast. I, I, I'm sure no one in the world does that. Just we, literally every time we drive by that billboard, it's still around the city. You'll you'll notice it. But it's like we just break out one, four, oh, four, two, 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 two. I, I already did it before, but anyway. So when we hear Teruah, does that mean 
we should be thinking this is the friendship of Hashem? Maybe. It's an interesting, it's definitely an interesting connection. Um, it's definitely an interesting connection. Uh, I'll just share my screen again just to, just to highlight what Mark is saying. Utruat Melech Bog, the king's trua is in him. Trua. So trua typically means chauffeur blast, but that's what Rashi explains. It's an expression denoting love and friendship um, or the presence of the king, you know, the, the shechina, the presence of the king. So, yeah, but, but the word typically is trua. Yeah, Troy. The, um, the daily wisdom talks about the inner soul and the, div- the div- divine within us. That we have the ability to harness our inner animal's raw power in pursuit of higher divine consciousness. So when Balaam says he does not look at the evil in Jacob, God sees that we can conquer our inner animal because God is within him. I love that. Within him referring to divine soul, which enables us to transform our inner animal. I love that. I love that. And maybe that helps explain what Mark says also. Right, God is with him even in the animal, Utruat Melech Bo, and God is with him in the true as well. And true is the animal is the ram's horn, which is from the, the animal blast. The brokenness of the of the blast is how that animal is still connected with God. And even when the animal strays, it comes back in a little bit of, of a broken state, but it comes back and reconnects. Uh, to me, it's all all touching on the same thing. It's the, and that is that the Balaam is saying. No matter what happens, no matter what they do, they're still connected with God. God is not going to sell them out. Not everything that they that they do is going to be perfect because human beings, right? And there is an animal soul, and but God is still with them. God still cares, and because God cares, sometimes it's great, sometimes it hurts. But that's like a real relationship. But God's not God's not checking out. God's not ditching. God's not cutting his losses and moving on. That's not going to happen. So if that's what you're expecting. That God would cut his losses, move on, and you can curse and get rid of them. God's not like that. God's not a human being who, you know, jumps in and out of uh, friendships and relationships and changes his mind. This is it. God is committed. They're going steady. Like they used to say back in the day. God and Israel, they're a thing. They're an item. I saw them at the diner. <laughs> um, milkshake? You get milkshakes at the diner, or is that somewhere else? Where do you get like? I'm picturing like fifties, like stool, like bars, like um, like blue and pink and like yeah, diner maybe. Yeah. All right, yeah, they were sharing a milkshake. Let's continue. Verse twenty-two. Weirdest things pop in my head, and I just feel like I should share them. Verse twenty-two. God brought them out of Egypt. Rasha, you said, behold, the people coming out of Egypt. Oh, right. When you, were, when you were hiring me, you said, oh, they're coming out of Egypt and they're going to destroy us. Yeah, bro, they did not come out by themselves. But God brought them out. They came out of Egypt. Who do you think took them out of Egypt? God. <laughs> There's no chance. You're not going to curse them. It's not going to happen. With the strength of his loftiness, in accordance with the power of his loftiness and height. Um, flying high, Rashi says. Another interpretation of the power of Re'emim. And our rabbis say this refers to demons. Holy cow. Holy cow. Demons are getting involved here somehow. Yeah, the strength of his loftiness. God brought them out of Egypt with the strength of his loftiness. He brought them out with his strength. He brought them out. They were flying high. And somehow demons are involved. Demons? Maybe he punished Egypt with demons? Something, 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 demons. All right, there's no divination in Jacob. 
They are worthy of blessing since there are no diviners or soothsayers among them. I gave you a little bit of a different angle on it. They have a direct connection with the source. There's no intermediary. Rashi says they're worthy of blessing since there are no diviners or soothsayers among them. I, I, I'm going to double down on what I said. That's not, it's not at all dissing Rashi. I'm just saying, like, just to explain my theme, the, the, the overall, the, the overall um, core idea of Balaam's second message to me is the relationship that God has, the unequivocal relationship that God has with the Jewish people. His first message, we read yesterday, the first uh, blessing was about the strength of the Jewish people. They come from, you know, they have incredible roots in the patriarchs and matriarchs, and they, they're not afraid to stand alone and be different and have their own way of life that's beautiful and moral and upstanding and righteous and spiritual. It's about the people. Today, his message is about God's love for the Jewish people and how that's, that's a promise that's not going to change and that's a, a reality that touches the essence. And, and even when he's angry, he's not leaving because he's invested. And on the Jewish side, they don't consult diviners or soothsayers. They don't go, they don't seek elsewhere. They don't go to other spaces. They're connected straight to the source. Rashi says that serves as a merit, but it also describes the unique relationship, in my opinion. Let's continue. In time it will be said to Jacob and Israel, there will come another time like this, when the love of God, when the love God has for them will be revealed to all, for they will be seated before him and learn Torah from his mouth. I'm assuming this is the Messianic era. Their place will be further in, closer to the divine presence and the ministering angels. They will ask them, what has God wrought? This is the meaning of what is stated, your eyes shall behold your teacher. That's a messianic prophecy from Isaiah. So basically, um, there will come a time when Mashiach comes in the future time that people will be close to God and, and sitting closer than the angels and they will ask, they will ask them, who's they and them? What has God wrought? I'm still not sure about that phrase. Okay, and they will see, that's what it means, your eyes shall behold your teacher, that will happen then. Another interpretation, the phrase Yomer Liyakov is not in the future tense, it shall be said to Jacob, but in the present tense. Thus, so it's not about the future messianic era, it's rather right now. What does that mean? They, they have no need for a diviner or a sorcerer. Oh, this is what I was saying. For any time it is necessary to tell Jacob and Israel what God has wrought and what decrees is enacted on high, they do not need diviners or soothsayers, but the decrees of the omnipresent are transmitted to them through their prophets. Oh, a little bit different. Or the Urim and Tumim inform them. In other words, they have their own channels. They don't need diviners or soothsayers. They have their own channels. Unculus, however, Unculus, that's the Targum, that's the uh, Aramaic translation, does not render it in this manner. Um, rather, Unculus renders, for the diviners do not wish that good be, uh, should be bestowed upon Jacob, nor do soothsayers desire the greatness of Israel. Um, at this time, it, w- it will be told to Jacob what God has wrought. Interesting. Basically, 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 um, the diviners and soothsayers, we have three, three interpretations. Diviners and soothsayers do not wish the best for the Jewish people, but bottom line is, it will be told to Jacob what God has wrought. In other words, what God's desire truly is. Okay, bottom line is, there's a tight connection, a lot of love, and when Mashiach comes, that love will be revealed. Even in present times, we don't need diviners or soothsayers. We have our own connection, direct connection, our own intel. 
and uh, all this good stuff. Let's continue verse 24. Behold, a people that rises like a lioness, Rashi, when they awaken from their sleep in the morning, they show the vigor of a lioness and a lion in grasping mitzvot, to don a talit, recite the Shema, put on tefillin. I just picture some dude going a little bit wild in the morning. Rashima, wrapping tefillin really vigorously, throwing on a talus. I don't think that's what it means, like physically, but it means that we're excited about doing a mitzvah. We wake up in the morning excited to do the mitzvot, excited to pray, excited to, to do a mitzvah, excited to study Torah. I mean, these are, these are the, this is the excitement. Raised like a lion. A lion, when a lion wakes up, I've had my share of, of African IMAXs. You know what I'm talking about, right? Like those big theaters that they show. I actually just took my kids and my nieces and nephew, nieces and nephew, to Fernbank uh, Museum. You know Fernbank on uh, Ponce? So I took... Oh, for me, it's a it's a natural. What is it? A natural history museum. It's got like dinosaur stuff, dinosaur bones, and it's got like an outdoor thing, and um, it, they have like fossils. I think that's the same thing as dinosaur bones. And then they have like a STEM or steam area where the kids experiment with science stuff. And then there's like this IMAX, this this big film. They have a few different ones. We did Antarctica. It's cool. It's, you know, they, it's, uh, it's, the cinematography is wonderful and it's like about the animals and also about cautionary tale about global warming and all that stuff and about, you know, um, hunt, um, killing the whales or uh, all the, you know, very important stuff. And uh, the kids loved it. There was one scene. It was great. It's like a little penguin that was um, a seal. A seal? I think a seal had its eyes on a penguin. It's not as romantic as it sounds. But anyway, the seal has his eyes to eat, right? To, to kill the penguin. And this penguin escapes onto a little floating barge of ice. I don't know if that's what it's called. And then the seal, unbeknownst to the penguin, or maybe, or maybe known to the penguin, or be known to the, to the penguin, jumps up onto the same thing. And now they're face to face. And the, 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 fil- the, film, the, the, film, the, the cinematography is fantastic. And you see the penguin not flinch and it starts, bah, like it opens up its beak and it starts shouting. And eventually the seal slinks off. Now, here's the thing. I have no idea if it was the same penguin as the one that they showed in the water swimming away from the seal. I don't know how many cuts they did to get the footage and create this narrative. But what they put together was pretty cool. It was pretty cool. And then I thought, and I told my kids later, I'm like, I'm sure the seal came back with a few other ones and they just ate the penguin. And I'm kidding. I did not tell my kids that. No. Why would I say that? It's ridiculous. Did not say that. But it, it, it does remind you that at some point that penguin was going to go. I mean, I, I just can't imagine a truly happy ending there with all those seals that are looking for food or whatever they were. Anyway, what's my point? Um, oh, IMAX. Anyway, that's Fernbank. And they, uh, they want to go back. There's one in Ireland. There's one in Dinosaurs of Antarctica where they superimpose dinosaurs onto the landscape and somehow, you know, rewind millions of years. But anyway, what's interesting is that I went, when we went there, so I asked, I asked somebody in the museum, like, how old are these dinosaur bones? And they said 14 million years and two weeks. And I said, wow, how so precise? Like, well, 
I started working here two weeks ago and it was 14 million years old then. So I figured that's a joke. I've told it before. Anyway, it's a classic, classic joke. Back to our story. I've seen my fair share of IMAXs, including ones about lions and, you know, the, the savannah in Africa, like all that stuff. I've been to Kruger National Park in, jo- in not Johannesburg, in, in South Africa. So I've seen, uh, I've seen these animals. When they get up, I've actually been also to the lion park. They have something called, I think it's called the lion park, where you can actually pet a baby lion. I'm sure I have in my pictures on my phone. I probably have myself with a lion. Let's see. Let's see if I have a lion, and if so, why that is of interest to anybody. The answer is it's not, but I just want to see are if the I lions, Are the lions caged in the lion park? Uh, well, yeah, the lion park, yes. The Kruger, no, it's like a real thing. It's like actually just, that's, how, that's where they are. These are the lions. I don't know if you can see that. Hold on. There, there's a lion. I was actually at this lion park. But let me see if I have... Oh, yeah, oh, look at this. This is legit. This is a legit picture that I took. Not as scary as the bears, though, huh? No, because I was in a car over here or somewhere. 2005. Where were we in 2005? 2005. Man, first of all, I was young. Second of all, oh, yeah, they're behind the cage. There's some cages over here. I, I, don't, I don't think that's a lion, but there's definitely a chain link fence. But where are the pictures with the kids holding lions? Definitely have one with the with the youngins. Anyway, who knows? I have no idea anymore what's going on with my pictures. But here's what I do know, is that when a lion wakes up, wakes up, the lion is ready to go. You don't want to be like, oh, I'm sure you're a little groggy. Swipe. That's not a thing. So the point is, when the Jewish people wake up, Balaam says, you know what's awesome about them? They're ready to roll. They grab a mitzvah. They grab a talus. They grab a pair of tefillin. They grab a Shema, they grab some prayer, they grab some Torah study, they go all in. First thing in the morning, boom, they rise like a lion. Back inside, and you know what? He wasn't lying. Oh, I know, it hurts me worse, more than it hurts you. It does, it does not lie down, i.e. a Jew does not lie down on his bed at night until he consumes and destroys any harmful thing that comes to tear him. What does that mean? How so? He recites the Shema on his bed. And entrust the spirit to the hand of the omnipresent. Should an army or a troop come to harm him, the Holy One blessed be he protects them, fights their battles, and strikes them, their attackers down dead. And those before we go to and we actually have a prayer. There's such a beautiful prayer at the end of the Shema um, uh, liturgy at night, the bedtime Shema, where it says basically, we say to God, I hereby entrust my soul to you, and I trust that you will protect my soul this night. And and then we go to sleep. It's such a beautiful, legitimately, I would read it to you in English. I don't have a sitter right in front of me. It's a legitimately beautiful prayer. It's the last one we say before we go to sleep at night. And so that's what it means. Uh, um, it does not lie down until it eats its prey and drinks the blood of the slain. It doesn't mean until, um, you know, Jews don't go to sleep before they, like, damage something. God forbid. It means, on the contrary, that they entrust their spirit to God, and God will fight their battles. Another interpretation, behold, the people that rise like a lioness, as the Targum renders it, namely, it will not settle on its land until it destroys the enemy and takes possession of the land of the nations. Okay, well, that's a little bit harsher. And drinks the blood of the slain. So Balaam prophesied that Moses would not die until he would strike down the Midianite king's dead. And he, Balaam, would be slain with them. Wow. He was prophesying about his own demise, Balaam was. 
As it says, Balam the son of Ba'ar, the soothsayer, did the children of Israel slay with a sword with those that were slain by them. That's unbelievable. Basically, the Jewish people ultimately, this is fast forwarding a few Torah portions, ultimately waged war against Midian. Actually, maybe it's. Uh, no, Pinchas. Yeah, in two weeks, we're going to read about this. How um, the Jews go to war against Midian to take revenge against them for the episode that happens at the end of the Torah reading with the. Uh, with the daughters of Midian. And, 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 they kill Balaam as well. So uh, the Jewish people drinking the blood of the slain was actually a self-reference, even if he didn't realize it. It was referring to his own demise. Let's continue. Balak said to Balaam, you shall neither curse them, nor shall you bless them. The first uh, gam, which is also, adds something to the second gam. And also the second gam adds to the first. Wow. Okay. You also you shall not curse them, also you shall not bless them. So they're each adding to each other, but I'm not sure what is added. Shall be neither mine nor yours. It sounds a little bit more equivocal. Or uh, sorry, no, unequivocal. It's like not this, not that. Don't curse, don't bless. All right, so what's the bottom line? What's the bottom line? If we were to kind of zoom out and look at this from a helicopter view, what do we read today? I'm going to go back to what I said before. I'm going to sound like a broken record, but it's okay. I don't mind. God loves the Jewish people. God does not change his mind about the love. God has committed to the Jewish people. He's not going to retract it. That's the bottom line. And no matter how much you wish that away, it's not going to change. Is everything perfect in the relationship? Of course not. No relationship is perfect. But God is not going anywhere. And because he's not going anywhere, he's going to have to make it work. And it's going to hurt sometimes. And it's going to hurt both ways. Because we're in a relationship with God. That's why they, we feel the, the pain that we feel about gullos and exile and all that stuff that we have. Bottom line is we're in a relationship. And that is the second message, the second blessing of Balaam to Balak and to the Jewish people. That is the message God loves us. One final insight along these lines. Something that you probably heard me say before. After the sin of Adam and Eve, God cursed Adam, Eve, and the serpent. And God says to the serpent, no longer will you walk upright. Apparently the serpent was an upright creature. But rather you will slither on your belly. You will eat of the dust and you will eat of the dust of the earth which the commentaries understand to me, not that, the, not that the snake eats earth, but the snake eats the creatures that are in the earth. So it slithers on its belly and it eats from the earth. One might ask the question, as the commentaries do, how is that a curse? Where's the curse? Imagine someone likes ice cream. You say, oh, you did something wrong. You know what's going to happen? You're going to be thrown into a vat of ice cream. It's like, Okay, I could think of worse things. It's like you like barbecue. You know what? You know what's going to happen to you if you don't if you if because you misbehaved, you're going to you're going to find yourself in a room filled with ribs. And where's the curse? Like what's what's what where's the problem here? The snake, you acted really bad. You're going to have to slither in your stomach and you'll get to eat all the food down there. Great. Sounds good. Sounds perfect for a snake. What's the problem? 
So the comments, some commenters explain something really beautiful and psychological, really powerful. And that is that the snake never needs, it never lacks anything. The snake always has its food. Therefore, it doesn't need God. The snake doesn't need God and doesn't have a relationship with God. We have a more difficult relationship. As God tells Adam, by the sweat of your brow, you shall eat. It's not going to be easy to earn a living. It's not going to be easy always to have money and food and all the provisions that we need. It comes with a struggle. It's not like it's right in front of us, like a snake that gets to eat whatever is right there. Living, making a life out of this or making a living is difficult. Because it's difficult, we turn to God and then God responds. And we have a, there's a dialogue, there's a relationship. We pray and God answers and we, 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 we connect and God responds. The point is, the point is that when you need, there's a relationship. When you don't need anything, there's no relationship. So what's the curse? The curse is not about slithering on its belly or whatever. The curse is no relationship. The curse is God saying, Bye-bye. Snake, see you later. Have a good life. Have a good life. Whatever you need is there. Just don't call me. Being cut out from God is the worst curse. That's the worst. The fact that God sometimes gets upset, that's a, that's a healthy sign. That means we were able to trigger him. He cares. He still cares. Right? That's what kids do all the time. They push buttons. Do you still care? Oh, okay. Okay, got it. All right. That was, that was my answer. It, we do this all the time. Even in relationships, even as adults, sometimes we do this. Whether we're aware of it or not, we do this. We push, we push to get a reaction. Say, like, oh, okay, just want to make sure that you're still, you're still feeling, you're still, you know, we're still, you still care. <laughs> the worst is if you push, and it was like, yeah, it okay, no problem. You're like, wait, it do- that, that, that doesn't hurt? It's like the doctor with the old knee thing, right? <laughs> the old knee, right? The, you know, they hit you on the knee and the knee, yeah. If that doesn't go, it's like, uh-oh, what happened with the knee? <laughs> That's not a good sign. <laughs> so the point is that the love directly, directly, love is directly correlated with other emotions, including getting upset, frustration, um, exasperation. I mean, all these are signs of life. <laughs> these are signs of life. It's a sign that there's a connection. Is it always perfect? No. But is there always a relationship? Yes. So you want me to curse them to the point that God says, all right, they're done. I'm writing them out of, uh, of my, my, you know, I don't care about them anymore. They're done. Not going to happen. Never going to happen. That's the message for today. We are in a relationship. Might as well do good things. Let's get positive attention, not negative attention. All right. Thanks for joining me today. Tomorrow, we close it out. Let me just look back at my text over here. Tomorrow is reading six. We're going to have the third attempt. The third attempt at cursing, which turns to a blessing. And then we'll read the epic reading seven as well tomorrow, which is the grand finale of the Torah portion. I'm telling you, I don't know. I mean, I guess Exodus also was drama filled in. That's what I was. Can I make a comment? This, yeah, this sure. reminds me so much of Moses and Pharaoh. And Balaam and Balak, it's like God right. is saying, look, I'm, I came to you 10 times with Moses and Pharaoh. This is what's going to happen. You're going to let him go. You're going to do it now. You're going to do it 10 times later. Exactly. And the same thing with Balaam and Balak. 
I'm, these are my people. Yeah. You're going to do what I say. Exactly. And I've got to convince you. Yeah. And not only that, but that, that one Rashi was also very informative where, you know, Balaam at some point might have had a desire to like, just, just quit. And God's like, you know what? Once we started this, we're going to finish this on my terms. Like you, I'm not letting you tap out. Kind of like the plagues also where you harden Pharaoh's heart. It's like, I'm not done yet. I got more to say. I got more to right. do. It's like, hold on. You know, I got I got a few more plagues that that need to come out. I got I got to express myself. God's like, I got more blessings here. We're not done yet. What's what's amazing, and as the comment, maybe I'll say this. Well, I'll say this now. I'm gonna say it now that I'll say it tomorrow. Then I've already said it. Anyway, say quickly is that um, we see Balaam who didn't like the Jewish people gave the greatest blessings, whereas Moses who loved the Jewish people he sometimes gave him a hard time. But that's also that's also a healthy sign, right? If uh, if Moses would say only glowing things, no one would take it seriously. Of course he loves them. When Moses criticizes, you take it seriously. Oh, wait, hold on. He, so, and if, ba- if Balaam would say criticism, he's a hater. He's an anti-Semite. But if Balaam says good things, like, oh, look at that. Even he says that. So it's nice to hear stuff from, from, the, uh, from the opposite. You take it a little bit more seriously. It's good to have a contrast. Yeah. Quick question. Sure. On Saturday, are you doing a, are you doing a class? Oh, that's a really good question, right? Because we didn't have it last week. The answer is no, because I was thinking about it, but Rabbi Schusterman is out of town this week. So I kind of have to, uh, I'll be, I'll be uh, helping out with the, the soybuses. Okay. Preparing my 60-minute uh, sermon. <laughs> <I'm> kidding. <laughs> no, 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 no. I, by the way, I, I take my sermon guidance. I, not that I give sermons, but... Like my, I would like my philosophy would would align closer with Rabbi Dr. Torsky. I loved his sermons growing up as a kid. Like very like short, sweet, but like really um, very quick sermons. It was great. Anyway, what's my point? I have no point. No, no learner service to Shabbos because I'll be in the I'll be in the main sanctuary. Um, yeah. Maybe one day there will be a Kiddush club. You know what a Kiddush club is? It's like a breakaway. It's like after Torah reading, it's like people wander out, find themselves in the kitchen, make some Kiddush, dip into the chant a little early, say some L'chaim, schmooze a little bit, hear the sing from the other room. (laughs) Anyway, every shul needs to have a Kiddush club, a healthy breakaway. It's always good. It's always good to have the, not a breakaway breakaway, but like a sanctioned breakaway. All right, we'll see you all. Have a wonderful day. You too. Thank you. Um, and yeah, tomorrow, tomorrow, same bad time, same bad channel. See you. Pleasure. Take care, everybody. Thank you for listening. I hope you enjoyed today's episode. As always, you can find us online at intownjewishacademy.org and on YouTube at Intown Jewish Academy. New episodes of the podcast come out a few times a week. If you don't want to miss a single episode, then hit the subscribe button. If you enjoyed today's episode, please take a moment to leave a rating or review. It means a lot to me and it helps other people find the podcast. Thanks so much for listening and I hope you have a wonderful day.